It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. And welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And if you think a week on the beach might have calmed me down, then you obviously weren't at Stamford Bridge yesterday. But more of that later. Joining me to discuss this week in football are Ollie Kay, Alison Rudd, and of course, Julian Lawrence. Later we'll be talking some Arsenal and whether we should pay any attention to the tales of woe emanating from there and from their uh, AGM, or whether it's all just more of the same. Uh, but first, let's start with Chelsea and Manchester United. All right, now there's some, I think, very serious accusations that this story is kind of breaking um, as we as, as we tape this podcast. But uh, Chelsea have accused uh, the referee Mark Clattenburg of using inappropriate language uh, towards two of their players uh, during the game um, yesterday. Obviously, a very heated game. Manchester United won three two. Um, the two players in question, the reason this is so serious, well, beyond the obvious, is are John Obi Mikel and Juan Mata. Now, Ollie, I'm going to start with you since you're normally better informed than everybody else on everything. Um, I, I, I've seen reports that that basically allege that Juan Mata was uh, was called a Spanish twat, and John Obi Mikel was allegedly called a monkey. Now, one thing I want to establish from you: Do we know if this is in Chelsea's complaint, this specific language, or is it just the kind of thing that newspapers wrote because they were "quote unquote" briefed on it by somebody on the know? Um, do we know whether Do we know whether it's in the report? Um, no, not in the report. In Chelsea's complaint. Uh, um, I'm assuming in the report, Clattenburg didn't say yes. And then at one point, I turned to John Obi Mikel and said, "Hey, you monkey, come here." Yeah, yeah well, there's, there's, there's a report submitted by a match delegate as well, um, and that report I think will contain the accusation, or maybe it would have some kind of uh, extra sheet um, that would um, accompany the, the, the delegate's report, which would have the um, which would have the complaint on it, and I, I would think that there would be the specific words, and, and I, I, I'm told that the specific words which Chelsea's players believe they heard are, are, the, are the words you mentioned, um, and um, it just seems it just seems baffling I mean, in terms of where you go with this. Obviously, the referees are all mic'd up. Um, nobody, th- 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 those uh, conversations are not recorded. Maybe they should be. They're not broadcast live maybe they should be but um it's a, it's it's going to take some proper investigating this and um Ollie, uh, can i just ask and i think i mean you're right this proper investigation has to follow we don't have all the facts but 
two things seem pretty obvious to me. Um, first and foremost, UEFA record the conversations between the mic'd up match officials. Um, they record the conversations in Germany because they use it as a tool to help referees interact with each other uh, and evaluate referees. Why on God's green earth don't they do it here? And should this be a learning opportunity where you know, it makes sense to see what the referees and their assistants and the fourth officials are saying to each other during the game, right? Yeah, well, I, I was told last night that that, that's a, that, that was a FIFA um, rule that, 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 that they are not recorded. Um, if, you know, judged by what you're saying. That, that, I suspect that, 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 that you, were, you were flat out lied to or mm. somebody, the person you spoke to is ignorant because um, I sat in a room with UEFA in... Um, at the end of August, and they played back recordings from the European Championships, um, where you could hear referees and referees assistants and the assistant referees behind the goal line talking to each other. So obviously they taped them. Um, but but that, aren't but we being clever after the fact? Suddenly we have a situation where we would quite like to know what the officials said during a game. We never normally want to know. When, when, they, no, did, we, when, they, did, know. when they did my cup referees for the European Championships, how many, four years ago now, they... Um, they did it for a movie called and they called it referee and they, all you could hear all you could hear it was it, it was an example of why you should not mic mic them up and record it because all you could hear was swearing right no no i'm, no, I'm not swearing, talking about swearing, micing swearing, them up swearing, no, no, i'm not talking about micing them up to make a movie or to release it to no the i public. know i know but, it, but it, if if referees and their assistants have to work together then it probably makes sense if, if there's ways even internally between the match assessors and stuff when you can say hey you know you got did you guys communicate here you could have said this you could have said that it shows you but how you would have to trawl through over 90 minutes of screaming oh. that was the hilarious bit of the movie mm, I, I don't think that's true i mean I think, or put it this way, they, certainly on the UEFA tapes, and maybe there's different technology, but at the Euros, the way the mics work, it's actually very, very clear. And it's actually very funny because um, the, uh, the, the assistant for your pal, Howard Webb, he's basically doing a running commentary. Uh, and it's actually really interesting. He's like, okay, the ball's coming in to your left. Look out, Howard. He's got this. He's got this kind of cross. I, mean, I thought it was very interesting. I'm sure it was helpful to Howard Webb. Um, I just find it extraordinary that they don't do that. And hopefully that's something that we learn from it. And the other thing, uh, before we move on to this, I, 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 we need to give a shout out because it's our boss who wrote it, so it must be correct. Um, FA, uh, dear Football Association, dear Ollie's mate, Dave Bernstein, if you are going to go and do an investigation this time, I hope you won't. I hope it's all a big inver- uh, in misunderstanding. Please, when you send Jenny Kennedy or her, her friend, Adam, to go and interview these people, and I feel like I'm the only person who's written this apart from uh, Tony, make sure she carries recording equipment so when, when she takes witness statements so that then there is no dispute about what it, what's actually said and you can actually go and do this properly and professionally. The other thing is, if you go and take witness statements from people, don't then lose the witness statement or don't lose your notes, I should say, for 10 and a half months, um, which is what happened with Adam Sennheim's uh, notes when they went and they took Ashley Cole's deposition. Um, just, I think that's fair to ask of the FA. Do you disagree, Ollie? No, no. It seems if, if, if those things happen, then that, that, those are particularly fair things to ask. All right. Now on to the game, which caused so much controversy. But, but, but before we get to the referees, which we'll no doubt circle back to it, um, Julian, I, w- I want to start with you. When we'd seen United in the last few games 
come out and play with sort of this this front three of uh, or, or a diamond, I guess, Rooney behind Van Persie and another striker, whether Welbeck or Chicharito Hernandez. Um, and then in this game, he reverts to wingers. And I, I kind of thought that, right, he's played with wingers for so long. He's got such good wingers. You know, this front three or this diamond's only going to be a temporary experiment. And I felt kind of vindicated when he moved back to the wingers. Um, but it certainly worked extremely well in, in the first 45 minutes or so at Stamford Bridge, huh? Yeah, but, uh, to be honest, I, I don't think it was really rocket science to go back to wingers because clearly if you've watched Chelsea since the start of the season, their fullbacks are never protected by their offensive midfielders. I mean, Hazard on one side, Mata most of the time on the other side, never defend. They've never defended since the start of the season. That's why Chelsea has been conceded so many goals. So, you know, f- when Fergie signed his office and watched a few Chelsea games, said, OK, well, their weaknesses is clearly their fullbacks because they're never protected. So if I put back some wingers, you know, we would cause them problems. And yesterday, after like two minutes or even less than that, their fullbacks were in trouble because Hazard and Mata were not offering any sort of protection. And we saw Rafael going forward on the second goal, for example, him and Valencia were 2v1 against Ashley Cole. And it happened again and again and again. It happened against Shakhtar as well for Chelsea in the Champions League. And I just thought that, you know, it was it was brilliant from Fergie, but I don't think it was really that well, difficult to find it before the game. Uh, Ollie, if it wasn't rocket science from Fergie, um, should Di Matteo have taken countermeasures? Um, could he have done, are there countermeasures he could have taken? I think effectively the the decision that Chelsea have taken this season, they, they don't have um, guys really who are going to give cover for the fullback. So I, I, I think if you looked at Chelsea's squad, I mean, what, what would they have done yesterday? Would they have put another guy in central midfield? Would they have gone to 4-3-3? Uh, it, it's, it's hard really to tell because you, you, you're not really going to play Matter and um, Hazard to cover the, the fullbacks as Julian you could have maybe asked them to stay wider uh, and, and not 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 go narrow as, as they sometimes did and and maybe by staying wide and up you could have maybe pinned the fullbacks back a little bit well potentially but but you're not really, you're not really going to um, persuade Raphael to, to to stay back just just by being there I think, I think it's the way that United attacked uh, in numbers broke with numbers particularly down the right um, with Rafael Valencia and, and the fact that they gained such rewards from that so early in the game and went to 2-0 maybe, maybe that made it more sensible for them to retreat a little and, and, and aim to play on the counter-attack and maybe that sort of enabled Chelsea to sort of Work their way back into the game with matter excellent, but it's it, it was. I mean, I, I, I thought United did it really well, but I, I think looking at Chelsea's squad and looking at the fact that uh, the lack of numbers in central midfield means that Ramirez is playing in that area rather than playing wide. Um, I, I don't really see the alternatives of Dean Taylor yesterday. Alison, Manchester United, with all their experience, two goals up, Chelsea get back and they pay it back to 2 2. Is it a case of placing blame on United for not being able to hang on to a two-goal lead, albeit away from home? Or is it a case of praising Chelsea and their character for being able to get back to 2-2? I think you have to praise Chelsea. I mean, strangely, although they lost, I think I think they were sort of irresistible at times. And 
they do have the ability to go behind and, and then the sendings off the whole feel of the game they rose above it and they let their talent shine through and some of their football was given what was at stake in the game was incredibly impressive I, I wanted to make it a point to talk about the football as I thought it was it was a very good game and, and I think it was one of sometimes we, we mistake games with lots of goals because oh look it's the crash bang wallop of the Premier League and uh, you know but it's actually because people are defending badly and doing stupid things in this game I thought it was actually two teams playing very very well and that's what led to the goals um, but obviously we have to talk about some of the officiating uh, as well and as you can see I'd really, really rather not but hey <laughs> I want to start with something I, obviously the, the, the big talking point is Evans on, on Torres we're going to get into that and also what Gary Neville said which I thought was, was really um, indicative but I'm going to start first with, with Torres on, on Cleverly and whether you know, he, he when he basically came and I think he struck him in the arm in the end, but it was a very high boot. It, that's the kind of thing you can see red for, isn't it, Julian? Should he have seen red? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if, if Cleverly stays down a bit longer than... Because he clearly got up straight away and shook Torres' hands like if nothing had happened. But it was like a kung fu kick, a bit like, you know, De Jong on, on Xavi Alonso in the World yeah. Cup final. It was very similar to that. Not to the same extent, because, you, you know, he didn't make that much contact with it with him but I, th- I think it was really really orange orange type of card yeah I think we can kind of ditch the pro United conspiracy theories here because if there was one it's pretty obvious Torres gave um, a Clattenburg a very good reason to send them off there I think it was just Clattenburg not having a very good day and we'll get to the next point which I think is, is, is an interesting one Johnny Evans on Fernando Torres Torres gets booked for diving I don't think there's any question that there was contact Sir Alex suggested afterwards like oh there might have been contact but why did Torres throw himself to the ground um, Gary Neville who I don't think can be accused of having an anti-Manchester United bias he kind of I'm going to quote him because he kind of sums up my view on this extremely well which is that you have the central defender coming at you, going for the ball. You know he's going to make contact with you. Are you supposed to just kind of run into him to prove your point to show that to show that you're not diving? Um, and, and and I thought, yeah, he's exactly right. We, we've created this whole idea about diving and so on, and there has to be contact and whatever else. If you go in like that, if there will be contact, and in fact, in this case, actually was contact. I don't see how you can possibly construe that as a dive. Am I wrong, Arsenal? Uh, Alison, since you are the qualified referee among us? No, but referees are under pressure at the moment. It's the it's the big issue, isn't it? Cut under out pressure diving. from, from, cut, from cut, who? Cut, cut out diving. Well, they're briefed. They're briefed. They're briefed. They have big briefings monthly, and they're told what the issues are. This is what this. I mean, managers lobby. And they say they don't like it. People like Tony Pulis, he's made it his bugbear of the okay. season. It's the, it's the big thing at the moment, diving. Let's right, eradicate. I, Everyone agrees, let's eradicate right. it. Let's look out for it. Can, can, can I ask something on this point, though, right? I appreciate Tony Pulis, whose players generally do not dive. They simply handle the ball. Um, <laughs> sorry, Peter Crouch. Um, he's making a big deal out of it. But at the same time, I look at who the biggest clubs in England are. Liverpool have Luis Suarez. Manchester United have Ashley Young and Danny Welbeck. Chelsea have Fernando Torres and Eden Hazard. Um, it seems to me that actually the biggest clubs have the guys who most often get accused of diving. Why doesn't their voice and their sort of comments, why doesn't their voice count as much as Tony Pulis's voice on this diving debate? Is it really the clubs? Is it really Tony Pulis is driving it? Or is it we in the media who are driving this? No, I'm, just, I'm just giving it as an example of how 
it's it's become the easy topic if you like you know the default position after a game if you don't want to talk about something about your club let's talk about diving as an issue instead David Moyes did it ahead of the Merseyside derby didn't want to talk about that Everton don't have any dosh thought he'd talk about diving making people turn away from the game so it's there it's out there it's an issue nobody I don't think anyone would say oh, I, I quite like diving I'd want to keep it in, in football Roy Smith so, Roy Smith would guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so you in order to eradicate it you have to be tougher on it than you might have been in the past which means when you get grey areas you, as a referee you might take might take the view not you're not simply deciding was there contact or was there not contact you're deciding could the player have stayed on his feet easily did the player overreact did he embellish the fall is he trying to dupe, dupe me and clearly in this case Clattenburg thought Torres and if you look at it in slow-mo it does look kind of odd it's only it's only when you know for certain that there was contact and but we all know if, if you're running no if you're running and you're touched you can sometimes fall down and yeah, I'm sorry, but even if there was no contact right the referee it's not like there's a rule that the referee has to either give a foul or book you for diving the referee there's also something called the not the referee could either not could, I mean, they, he could not sanction the foul and, and not book you for diving, right? It could be a non-call. It that, could that, be something. But, but they're making it a call because they want to. They want to flush. They want to flush it away. You know, if you're if you're going to have okay, so wait, can you say that they're wrong? Then sent off. He wasn't sent off for diving. But in the end, he was sent off effectively for diving. That that will do wonders for making people, especially players who are just starting to come through into the Premier League, think I I I don't want to go there. Ollie. I, I, I really like the idea of zero tolerance on this. I, I like the idea of, of referees showing cards when there's any kind of theatrical tumble. You know, e- even when there's, um, you know, e- even when players have been clipped and then they they sort of go on and then they throw themselves down and, and people say, oh, but there was contact. Um, I, I, I like the idea of referees getting tough. Uh, and wiping this out and, and making a statement that that says this kind of thing will not be tolerated. Um, obviously, it's a danger that um, English football stands alone in doing it, and, and there's a danger that it just becomes a sort of silly two-week fad rather than um, and then people back down again. But I like the idea. My problem with it is that the, the Torres incident yesterday, I don't think, is one that merited a yellow card. I, I just don't see that he dived. I thought he got. Um, he was fouled, and I don't think it was one where he reacted to the foul by suddenly throwing himself in an unnatural way. I don't think it's one where he stuck his leg out in a way that um, sort of instigated the contact either. I don't think that was a yellow card. I'm with Gary Neville on this one. I think there will be um, perhaps half a dozen to a dozen instances that are worse than that in every game and I know people say oh but look, look at the way he throws his head back and, and so on I do not think that was a dive but isn't zero doesn't zero tolerance automatically mean there will be victims that, 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 or there will be that's the odd decision that's, that's, that's borderline a, that's why it's a stupid and demented <laughs> policy and only and only sort of populist um, policemen or mayors <laughs> and morons like that come out and talk zero tolerance zero tolerance of diving, which means zero tolerance of cheating. That's fine. In this case, he didn't cheat. No, exactly. I mean, he, he was, he, as, as Ollie says, he was hit on the leg. And I'll tell you what, even if he wasn't hit, 
What is he supposed to do? Julian, help me out here and appreciate. You will probably fall on the side of the divers because you're French and, you know, you're in Cherry Henry and all this stuff. But goodness me, the, the, the tackle's coming in. Why do you have to run into the guy's foot? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Anyone who's played the game, highly And you've played at a higher level than the rest of no, us. But at that pace, if there's a slight contact, and that was more than a slight contact, there's no other choice for, for Torres to, to go down. You know, if, even if, if he hadn't been touched by Evans, just the tackle itself at that pace would have unbalanced Torres completely, I think. Ah, oh, but how do we know he had no choice? You see, Ferguson said, he did he choose to go down? Yeah, but because Fergie said then, oh, when I was a striker, you know, I would have stayed on my feet. Yeah, but 50 years ago, it was not that pace. And, and to be fair, Fergie never ran as fast as Fernando Torres anyway, <laughs> even 50 years ago. But it's, it's a bit the same for, for Klattenberg then. He was not sure 100% that there was no contact. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit like the offside. You've got the benefit of the doubt. You know, if he was not sure if there was contact or not, don't, just don't give a yellow card. But in the long run, in the long run, it'll make players think twice about but, overdoing it yeah, or choosing to go down when they, they have a choice not to. But next time Torres would be in the same position, he'd be, he'd be touched as well. There'd be a fan on him. He would go down because at that pace, I don't think he had the choice to go down or not. I, I, I propose a resolution in this, seizing upon Ollie's idea. Uh, and uh, I think we need to use a little bit of moral suasion. What I would like, and this could be the FA or it could be the media, perhaps one of those. And Sky have a lot of hours to fill. Why don't we pick out the 10 incidents of theatrics? I'm not talking about diving. I'm talking about theatrics post-tackle, right? And we all know what we're talking about. I think Ollie referred to it. And just play them and be like, hey, Mr. X, Y, or Z, please cut this out. You look like a fool. Yes, you were fouled, but there's no need to roll around like, like an absolute moron. Or like, oh, look, you were touched on the ankle, but you go down grabbing your knee, right? But I think Thomas Vermaelen had a bit of that as well. Um, you know, and just name and shame. And maybe that's one way that we can cut this out without cards and suspensions and punishments. The other, the other way to cut it out, though, is... Is to book everybody, no, book them constantly. No, no, seriously, it's for referees to start giving free kicks when players don't go down. When a player right. tries to stay on his feet... Oh, you mean referees applying the rules? An advantage doesn't work. You oh, no, but, but you're talking about referees applying the rules of the, of the game and showing backbone and no, personality. No, no, because we are letting the game flow, and a lot of players would say to you, well, I have to, I have to fall over, otherwise I'm not going to get the free right. kick. Well, I, I mean, I think there's some referees here in England who actually do a very good job of that and who have the courage to go and apply the rules even when the player doesn't go down. Unfortunately, there are others who maybe because they're worried about what their assessor will say. Don't do that. But I, I think that's a great point that, that, that Allison makes. We have to talk about one more point before we, we, we move on to the derby, um, which is, of course, United's winning goal. Now, linesmen are going to take a lot of stick on this program. Uh, it's, this is a very bad weekend for linesmen. I'm not going to put this on Clattenburg. No, not just in England, by the way. Anybody who saw the Juventus game um, will, will attest to. But Chicharito Hernandez ends up in the goal, right? I'm the linesman. I'm, I'm looking. I'm the referee. I'm looking across, right? The guy is in the goal. So I know that he's going to do one of two things. He's either going to stay in the goal, right? In which case, he's off the pitch and I don't care about him. Or he's going to attempt to come back into play, which is exactly what he did. Yeah. How can I not be aware? How can I not notice that this guy is offside? I suspect. I don't know. But I suspect the error was made not in forgetting he was in the back of the net and he might come back into play but it was that he was level with check and the linesman just forgot that there had to be someone else there too I'm trying to explain it because it is rather hard hard one to explain I, I agree 
I respect Alison's uh, <laughs> <laughs> great, great attempt to uh, to help the, the well, how, why, how else could you explain it? Because he's rubbish, completely rubbish, and he's got nothing to do in the game anymore. And I hope he never referees any game. I just cannot <laughs> see it. I promise you, Alison. I just cannot what, the see it. What, whoever was the assistant? Yeah. Not Clattenburg. Yeah, no, yeah, well, you can't blame Clattenburg for this one. No, I mean, no, 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 the assistant. You know, and I don't even think that was the worst. I, I think there's, there's uh, worse to come this weekend. There's worse to come, I, in my opinion. I've seen linesmen have terrible, terrible games where they go through a sort of ten-minute patch and and get every offside wrong and get every throw-in wrong, and it didn't seem to be one of those. It, it seemed to be one very, very bad decision. But as you as you suggested, um, there was a worse decision by, by linesman this weekend. I think you mean the Arteta one. I thought that was even worse. Now, in the interest of fairness, my Manchester United supporting friends told me that this is some huge karmic thing because, of course, Chelsea won a title when Drogba scored an offside goal against Manchester United. And so, in the end, everything balances itself out. <laughs> Don't believe that for one second that things balance themselves out, but it is true, Drogba was offside. Now let's move on to the derby, the only derby that matters, the friendly derby, Everton and Liverpool. Alison, you're the Liverpool fan here. 2-0 up. After 20 minutes, what were you thinking? You don't draw conclusions from the Derby game, for a start. All right, you're asking me as a Liverpool fan as opposed to someone who, who writes for the Times. I've yet to be convinced by Rodgers and his team selection and this, this this halo he seems to have with the words youth written on it. Um, and I think the proof of that came because he should have won the game because the goal, the goal at the end was valid and that would have been fine but if he'd got there and won the game it would have been because he ditched the youth policy and brought on what Shelby and Quetta those very well, old no, John no, Shelby no but, they, he, but he, brought, he brought them on because because they were more disciplined and a tiny bit older than Susan. tiny bit older and more more experienced alright Luis Suarez goes and celebrates by taking that, that uh, his goal by taking that dive in front of David Moyes was this funny, all in good fun, or disrespectful? Anybody want to go and, and be sort of horrid and grumpy and say it was disrespectful or anything other than good fun? Let's be honest, it's, it's not going um, to win any comedy awards, but it's, um, it's not, nor is it exactly some kind of incitement or, or great outrageous um, celebration of cheating. It's, it's a bit of fun, just not all that funny. I bet you Rory Smith saw it as absolutely hilarious and a wonderful celebration of the dark arts of simulation. (laughs) Julian, uh, the dark side of Suarez, um, Suarez on on distant. Um, Now, it looked to me like at first he wasn't, he was just looking to trip him up, but in the end, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. Should, Should he have gone? I, I mean, I agree with you. Initially, I, I didn't think it was on purpose. And then when you watch the replay, and, and, and Suarez is, is a player that I absolutely love. It, di- it did look like he did it on purpose, to be fair. The way he, you know, the way he caught the, the, the Achilles of, of Distan and, and just the way the, where the ball was and where he was initially and then where Distan was, he looked like he did it on purpose. And, you know, in that case, it could have been red, definitely. It's a bit like the Torres cleverly incident initially. Except that this one looked far from the ball and he was clearly not playing the ball, he was just walking on an, on an opposition player. I thought it was really bad, to be fair, really. Before we get to, to the end, let's uh, a, word on, a word on Everton because Marvin Fellaini's coming right from injury. I, I thought he's not, he wasn't 100%, but I thought he, he, he did his job well uh, as did Osman in, in the middle of the park. Um, as did Phil Neville, who of course took a dive as well, and then uh, joked about it afterwards and admitted it and said he got a, a rollicking um, from David Moyes. The thing is, would he have admitted it if he'd not been caught? 
he probably wouldn't have admitted it if he'd won a penalty, but uh, or, or, or maybe with it being a derby, maybe with it being a derby, he would have uh, he would take a great greater satisfaction in, yeah. in, in admitting it. But um, I, I thought Everton played. Um, I, I thought Everton's response to going two 0 down was was fantastic. I mean, you, yeah. you, you you expect to see a, a great deal of fight from Everton in 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 any game, really. But I mean, I, I think we've seen them in, in derby matches down the years occasionally lose their heads and although there were for a few robust challenges and tackles flying and so on I thought that their overall approach when they had the ball yesterday was was brilliant after they went 2-0 down I thought I thought they looked the more likely winners for for, for about half an hour after their first goal never mind the second goal and, and then and Liverpool sort of came back into it towards the end and I, I, I thought I thought both showed what they both teams showed what they were yesterday. I think Liverpool showed encouraging signs in, in transition and, and Everton showed that they are a team who probably more than Liverpool this year look, look equipped to, to challenge the sort of top four, five, six. You really believe that? I, I, I do believe it. I, I think I think no, Liverpool. No, 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 not, not do you believe that are they better equipped than Liverpool? But do you really believe they can challenge for top four, five, six? I do. I, I don't think they'll finish in the top four, but I, I think they'll be. Um, in the top ten, I think they'll be. I think they'll be in the top six, and I think they'll be closer to the top four than than in the years when the, the top four seemed to be a closed shop. And, and as for Liverpool, I, I think they. Um, I mean, I, 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 think, I, I think I'm more convinced by Rodgers than than Allison is, than, and, and than Julian is. I, I think I I like everything he does, but um, I think they are a team in transition. They're, they're a thin squad, inexperienced squad in many departments, and I think it's asking an awful lot to turn them into a top four team. Just one thing on Everton: great first half from Miralas. Yes. By the way, who's, yep. who looked really promising yesterday, then he got injured and had to be uh, substituted at halftime, but. You know, he, he came. You know, I mean, no one really talked about him. You know, he was he was quite cheap. You know, and and it's another great finding, I think, from from uh, Moyes. I mean, some people knew about him before, but you know, you I think go it was back really four years and you read my column about how Belgium will win uh, or could be among the contenders for the 2014 World it, Cup. And I agree. Then uh, you will notice that I was flagging up Morales back when he True. was uh, a lot younger. Morales and he came for France so obviously I, I agree with you on that one but so, no yet I might have had some sorry. inkling about him um, alright finally let's talk about uh, we thought there was a winner from Luis Suarez it was uh, disallowed Alison I'm since I'm feeling generous uh, I can give the linesman the benefit of the doubt that maybe he started waving his flag because he saw Coates foul Chigielka but in reality that's probably not why he struck it off. He struck it off because he thought Suarez was offside, right? Yes, and he wasn't. Another mistake. But but uh, as we are doing the list today, where, where does that come? Probably fifth. <laughs> it was it was more forgivable than some decisions over the weekend because he was levelish. Ollie, you're neutral on on this issue. Um, are you ready to forgive because he was levelish? Um, I, I think it was it was as. Incompetent as the other decisions. If he, if he, um, you know, the, the Arteta one and the, um, the Hernandez one. If if he gave it for offside, um, uh, if he gave it for a foul by Quattas, then I think he's got more of a case. But um, I, I, I don't think it was a it was a good decision. It, was, it probably probably saves um, there being a riot at the end. Why, why did um, it take so long for the linesman to uh, to put the flag up? It took no him ages. The, the ball was already in the net for like a few good seconds before he put the flag up. It's either you know you don't know. If you don't know, just don't don't put the flag up. 
if you're not if you're not sure again we come back to like you have to be sure 100% that he was offside too otherwise there's the benefit of that but why 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 did you take him so long I, know, I, I think, know. I think it's fair no I think it's fair enough not to expect the flag to go up immediately because once you've put it up you've put it up you are allowed and you should be encouraged as an official to process the information it seems like a long time but it's not really you are you are almost doing a little playback in your head. Yeah, I saw I saw where the free kick was taken, and I I'm pretty pretty sure he he strayed offside when it, as it was struck. Aren't I? Aren't I sure about that? Yes, I am. Now I'll put my flag up. Wonder if these two points dropped are the two points that relegate Liverpool. <laughs> Yeah, that, that bitter laugh. <laughs> but inside, she's like cursing me for jinxing him. She's not the only one. All right, bumpy uh, AGM last week for the Arsenal. Um, it's an age-old situation. Um, I think the club's a bit of an, of an enigma. We're going to talk a bit about not what's happening on the pitch, but um, what's happening behind us. Because you have a club with a stadium that generates money. You have a club that's financial fair play compliant. Uh, you have a club that um, has all these really bad commercial deals that are all expiring, I think, in 2014. Um, it's actually kind of funny. Um, Arsenal's commercial revenue last year I think it was something like about half, or slightly more than half that of Schalke 04 from Gelsenkirchen, um, which I think is absolutely appalling. But all those bad commercial deals are coming to an end, so they've got this big windfall coming down the road. Um, but at the same time, this is a team that loses its best players every year. Um, Ollie, care to explain? Uh, well, uh, if, you, if you go back, whatever it was, Ten years to, to where they announced the, the the move to Ashburton Grove, as, as it was always called in, in very grand terms at that time. That the idea was that they would compete with, um, be able to compete with the biggest clubs in Europe and compete financially as well as compete um, on the pitch. And if you look at how things have gone in in six years at the Emirates, I think they've they've looked more than ever like a club that has to sell, um, and that has got to be extremely worrying for Arsenal fans and I, I know they are worried by it and vexed by it but at the same time you look at the the results I mean obviously the trophies is one thing but you look at the fact that they have remained a top three team in the Premier League throughout that time while spending less than their rivals they've um They've consistently been sort of quarterfinals, semi-finals of the, of, the, of the Champions League, or at very least last 16. They, there is an awful lot to, to admire. There's an awful lot to say it's working. But whereas they have been able to compete with the very best, they keep losing players. And I, I think their wage uh, structure really is one of the big things that holds them back. Whenever we discuss Arsenal, I always think the big question is, if for some reason Wenger decided to walk away and they brought in a manager who, who said all the right things at interview but once he was in the job said I need money to buy that top player that top player that top player and I don't care how much the salaries are I want them I want them I want them would 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 the Arsenal board as board as they intimated at the uh, the, the AGM give the money sure, by the way is there really such a thing as an Arsenal board or is it just Stan Kroenke there's a board okay but is it doesn't Stan Kroenke own like two thirds of the club and ultimately he decides well, yeah, uh, he has he has a large say, but uh, I mean they, they, they've got Usmanov who who owns a, a third of the club, and and it's 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 a fairly difficult. Yeah, he's, he's very well represented on the board, isn't he? Well, exactly, but but I, but things. I mean, he 
he could in theory well he, he could in theory make life very difficult for, for, for the board if, if they're doing things he doesn't want want them to do and, and I mean he's, he's obviously spoken out at times of you know, political expediency like, like when Van Persie issued his statement in July but he um, I, I, I don't think it's just Stan Kroenke I mean Ivan Gazidis is, is a more empowered chief executive than than right. some of them are around. But, um, but I mean, I, Ivan Gazidis is employed by Stan Kroenke. Stan yeah. Kroenke gives him goals, right? He says, run the club, maximize profits, finish in the top four, do this and that. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I presume so. It's like, it's like Gazidis pretends, oh, I own this club. And I don't think it's Gazidis' goal in life to go and not spend money so for, just to help Kroenke make more money. He follows instructions. He's an employee, right? Yeah, but in the same way, I think uh, you know, David Gill follows instructions. I mean, David Gill is, is seen as a, as a powerful chief executive, but but he, he he operates under sort of tight parameters that are that are forced on him by um, well, that, by, that's by ownership. I mean. So it, it comes from the owner. I mean, Julian, can you explain to me why they have was it, is it they have all these money in, in, in cash reserves? But most of all, they have they have a very wealthy owner. Um, in fact, two wealthy owners who. If they, for example, if they wanted to snap their fingers and make the liability on the stadium go away, uh, they could do that overnight, couldn't they? Yeah. Um, it's not just Kroenke who's extremely wealthy. It, he's married to somebody who's a lot wealthier than he is. Um, I mean, who's, who's in, a, in, you know, in, in the Abramovich sphere, if not the Mansour sphere. They could do this and they could do it and still be financial fair play compliant. Why don't they do this? I think it's I think it's Wenger's policy. I, I think but Wenger doesn't want Kroenke to go and pay off the stadium. No, no, no. I think in terms of spending money, I, I don't think the stadium was. So it's uh, Wenger who chooses not to spend money. Yeah, I, I think Wenger, if if Wenger can have Falcao for ten million quid tomorrow, he will buy him. If he can sign Falcao for fifty, he won't. Right. Because he's never done it before. So, ever. so, so if a new manager came in and said, "I want to spend that fifty million on one player," do you think? Stan and the board would say, "Yeah, I, sure." I believe Gazidis would be in favour. Yeah, I think there might be a bit uh, of convincing to do with Kroenke, but I, I definitely think that you know the the, the way structure at the moment was established by Wenger for many many years now, and he doesn't want it to change. Well, no, on the wage structures, Julian, and obviously you've got good special insight on the club. One mystery to me is the way it's been explained to me by agents and others. You have a situation where the top players, or rather, the difference in wages earned by the top players and the squad players, people like uh, your, your, your pal Johan Giroud, for example, isn't that isn't that great? Or Sebastian Squillace or people yeah. like that. So you've got guys who never play, who maybe make 30 or 40 grand less than people who are integral to the team, like um, you know Arteta or Fermalin or whatever. And that's very different from other clubs where reserves get paid like reserves and superstars get paid like superstars. Is that the case? Yeah. And what's the logic behind it? That, that, that's, 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 the, that's, I think, the big problem, in my opinion. The wage bill at Arsenal is almost the same as at United. And at United, you've got players like Rooney on 250k a week, with the highest salary at Arsenal, I believe, is around 110 maximum, 120 maybe. And is this some kind of Wenger socialist utopia? I think it's just that Wenger was very generous for some like reserve player, like you said, someone like Skilachi or Juru, you know, Bentner in his time and, and things like that. And, and I think that's what is unbalancing everything else. 
just because Wenger in his mind doesn't want to do too many differences between his players so you could be the big star and you could be the guy who we see on the bench most weeks but he doesn't want it to be too different in terms of wages Ollie, that, that's his idea and I think he will die with his you know with his ideas Ollie this seems stupid to me and out of touch with the rest of the world I've got two questions for you was it like this when David Dean was there and secondly shouldn't the strong chief executive Ivan Gazidis do something about this or does Wenger really get to decide everything including how much people get paid um, I'm just testing my mind back to, to when David Dean was there I mean would they have been able to attract people like Bergkamp and and Platt and Omri and, and, and others without shattering their, their wage structure and I, I don't think they would have done um, so I mean and, and don't forget that, that they, they paid a huge wage to get Sol Campbell on, on a free I, I think he was the highest paid uh, player in English football for a while Sol Campbell in uh, when was it 2001 when he, when he went there um, so I mean it, it hasn't always been the case it's not something Wenger has always done but I, I think it's um, it is a very Strange thing because it's it's an it's an inability to attract and retain real real A list players. Well, Ollie, Ollie, I don't know if you missed what Julian said, but it was it's not so much at the top end; it's at the bottom end. I know, but 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 that but if you if you're giving a guy like Giroud or Diaby or uh, you know whoever far more than they merit, then. That effect, you know, that, that that means that a lot of your, your your wage budget is going on players that that could be paid a lot less, and and that means that you know that the ones at the top end that there's less money for, especially when it's being regulated quite tightly, and and you know Arsenal do not pay the kind of figures that Manchester United were paying. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. It, it's 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 ridiculous to think that you know. That, I mean, I, I I don't know precisely how much they were willing to pay Van Persie to stay, but um, it's an awful lot less than than he would have got offered at Man United or Man City or Chelsea. Um, you know, three, four years ago. Never mind now. And I, I think now that the, you know, the, the the increased TV money that that will be coming in players' wage demands are going to go up and up and up, and obviously we can say that is unhealthy, we can say that you know, good on a club like Arsenal for standing up against it, but in order to be competitive, they need as many of these very good players as they can get their hands on, or at least keep once they've got their hands on them, like like Cthulhu, I mean, what's Cthulhu's next contract going to be? Is, is, is he going to want more money? You would imagine he will and, and, and Arsenal have to be willing to pay what it takes to, to keep him. But, but as a fan, should you be angry that your club doesn't want to give Robin Van Persie 300k a week? As a fan, would you really be angry and think, oh, we should have given him 300k a if, week? If the money's there, if, I mean, Arsenal generate a tremendous amount of money. They could generate even more money and they will generate more money in the future. What I find frustrating and you've got this owner who could improve the situation even more, for example, by putting money in to the stadium and, and paying off the mortgage so that you've got more money available. In the end, it comes down to is, is Arsenal a, a, a giant cash machine and you just sit there and let its value appreciate over time um, or do you actually want Arsenal to be successful? Nobody's suggesting that they need to go into debt. Nobody's suggesting, suggesting you need to do what Mansour Abamovich does but I don't know. I, I kind of feel like Arsenal could easily run at proper break even, not sort of fictional with money moving around, and probably have retained better stars. But 
We should give Allison the last word on this and ask a very simple question. Who has a brighter future, Allison? Which red-clad team? Is it Arsenal <laughs> or Liverpool and why? Uh, in the short term, Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> in the long term? Arsenal. <laughs> there you go. Time now for some quick hits. Stoke and Sunderland play out a hard-fought nil-nil draw, but Allison, I was struck by the officiating in this game, maintaining our theme throughout the show. We should also give a shout-out to our friends, the Aston Villa supporters, very angry about the officiating in their game, too. Um, it seems that Mark Halsey allowed plenty of tasty challenges, which might otherwise have been punished with yellows, uh, if not reds. Tony Pulis, unsurprisingly, didn't mind. Um, you're the only qualified ref here. Uh, are you okay with this type of common-sense officiating in every game stands alone, or should there be consistency throughout uh, games rather than within games, if you see what I mean? Well, I think I think it's hard enough to get consistency within games. So that, that's your first port of call as a referee, and that should be what you try and do is make sure uh, across the 90 minutes you, you are consistent within that and you are, as a referee, encouraged to embrace the atmosphere, the mood, the type of game it is. You do referee differently if you're refereeing under nines or veterans. It, it's the way it is. Um, once you've established that you can do it within 90 minutes, then it would be wonderful if you could be consistent across across the whole Premier League, but it's a pipe dream, probably. Manchester City pull out a 1-0 win over Swansea, which I guess is good for Mancini, but it's hardly an impressive performance until, of course, the god of football, Mario Balotelli, comes on in the second half to save the day. Um, Oli, does it all matter at this stage, or should City just kind of be happy they're getting results and sooner or later the performances will come as well? Well, there, there are two layers to this. One, one is the, the result, where they are on the table. They're only one point off the top. They've dropped six points all season. They've got more points from the equivalent games than, the, than they did last season. Um, but the bigger concern uh, for Mancini is, is the sort of prevailing mood at City. And I'm not talking about the fans. Of, I'm not even talking so much about the players. But the, the, there's a lot of tension behind the scenes. James Ducker covers it at great length um, in today's times, it, com- confirming a lot of what I've heard as well. Um, I know Manchester City fans think that there's some kind of conspiracy against Mancini and that, and, and so on. I, I would advise them to, to read that what James has written and, and, and they'll probably learn that the, the situation is not um, a terribly healthy one at the moment. Well, I know Mancini feels that it's not really paranoia when everybody's out to get you. Well, exactly. But he's normally so level-headed. But anyway, Mark Hughes will likely be in trouble for saying the referee gave him some, quote, cock and bull, unquote, story about Ryan Nelson being off the pitch and playing Mikel Arteta onside when Arsenal scored their winner against QPR. Allison, I can confirm that if Hughes is right, it is a cock and bull story uh, because Nelson is actually a big man and it's pretty hard to miss. And he was clearly not off the pitch uh, as the voice of all referees. Do you have sympathy for Sparky? Well, obviously a bit. He's, he's in big trouble. He might not be in a job this time next week. But in this case, the referee is he's relying on what his assistant tells him. He's not hes not making up a story. He's well, just, he is if he's saying that Ryan Nelson's off the pitch when no, in well, fact he isn't. Well, you know... Somebody's yeah, making it up. No, it's, in this instance, it will be his assistant who says, this is why I gave the decision. And I think give not just this question, but the whole of the podcast implies that perhaps we shouldn't be focusing so much on the referee, but maybe the quality of assistant referees. At the moment, you decide quite early in your officiating career, I'm going to go down the path of being an assistant. And I think you have to ask, why would you make that choice? So much for the doubters, Julian. Jack Wilshere is back. And I thought he was a figment of my imagination. And he actually looked pretty good in an otherwise ho-hum Arsenal side that beat QPR 1-0. Julian, can he single-handedly save Wenger's season? 
It's not that he can, it's that he will, and oh, he's yes. already the savior. He was awesome on Saturday. I thought the way he took control of that game, he's very talented. He's going to get stronger and stronger, fitter and fitter, and he would definitely be the savior. Julian Lawrence, a true believer. Tottenham Hotspur win at Southampton, and there are rumors that Nigel Atkins' job is in jeopardy. Ollie, you love sacking managers, don't you? Is it time for Atkins to go before the situation gets out of hand, or is he being treated somewhat unfairly? I, I think you've got the wrong guy. I hate sacking managers. You and love it. You're a child of Thatcher, remember? Right. Uh, I, I especially hate sacking managers who are, whose crime would be to over-deliver uh, in, win, in delivering promotion the previous season. I think Southampton have got a great long-term plan. Uh, I think Atkins and the way he manages it is a great part of that. I'm trusting you with young players. and If they were to sack him and, and get a more short-termist manager in, I think they'd, I think they'd regret it. Yes, some of us are on message when it comes to Atkins, and I count myself among them. Good. Let's end on a happy note. After all this negativity, Reading and Fulham battle to a 3-3 draw, and we saw some absolutely unbelievable goals. Um, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not being sarcastic here. It really did brighten my day. Julian, my personal favorite was Brian Ruiz's, especially since I was telling everybody how good he was going to be, and it took him sort of forever to get going. But uh, he certainly wasn't the only special one. Uh, who do you want to big up? I would have picked Reese as well because I love the build-up and, and I love the player and I thought it was a great finish. I would go for Berbatov though because he was grumpy the whole game and just at the 80th minute or 85th minute or something like that just popped up and scored a great goal you know, from, from, um, from the inside of the box with his right foot and, and I just, it shows how brilliant he is and how grumpy he is and, and I just love that about him so I would go for Berber. Gab, one for you. Forget the Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid. On Sunday, we had the Super Clasico between Boca and River Plate. How did it go and why was it so important? Well, Julian, it was uh, so important because obviously uh, it was the first Clasico since River Plate's relegation. Of course, they've come back up under Matias Almeida and it lived up it lived up to the building. Billing. I mean, is, is, I, I think this is the um, this is my favorite derby in the world, probably the most intense derby after the old firm. Um, and, you know, you got the, the Monumental and it's strewn with paper and they rip up the newspapers and everything and River Plate take the lead and then uh, it, in the first half and then and then they made it 2-0 and everything going swimmingly and the Boca manager Falcioni I mean he looks like this weird cartoon character grumpy defensive and yet they, they, they claw one back with a slightly actually it wasn't a dodgy penalty I kicked him almost out of the stadium to make a 2-1 and then they score in injury time and River gutted and Boca celebrate there was a giant inflatable pig and Boca colors this is colorful this is a carnival atmosphere this is fantastic I wish the Argentine League were marketed better and simply we saw more of it because it's some of uh, the most entertaining football in the world, in my opinion. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun and it's been real. You can find us on Twitter. We're all on there. Ollie's on there with his 10 bazillion followers. Julian, you're on there too, right? What's your Twitter handle? Lawrence Julian. Lawrence Julian. There you go. Share your thoughts with us. You can also email us at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can remember, of course, go to our website, thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip, your analysis. Uh, you can also read our blogs, which um, are actually free for non-subscribers, just like this uh, podcast other free for an hour or so but look on the website you'll get your token some of the stuff is very very good my favorite blogger um, apart from Ollie of course is uh, George Culkin uh, actually I rang myself ahead of George too so maybe apart from Ollie and myself it's George Culkin but uh, uh, there's there's lots of good stuff on there even if you're not a subscriber uh, till next time bye bye 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.